the rhetoric of like easy listening stations is fascinating because the whole basic gist is like your life sucks your kids your jobs they're always on you but fortunately you can listen to this refreshing music from the past and it'll soothe your wounded soul So hello, Nina. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. I did my long run today. Oh man, congratulations. It was actually amazing. Although I am a little bit becoming frustrated that my body is becoming more efficient. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, there was once upon a time where I would run and it'd be like a hundred calories per mile. No more. Well, yeah, <sighs> it's just like, as you grow stronger, you can do more. Yes, and I think it's partially my whole, like, keep my heart rate low, which is a good plan, I understand. But I think that's also, they're like, yeah, your heart isn't pumping as much. That's partially, I assume, how they, like, determine it. So both yeah. it was a triumph and slightly disappointed. But anyway, yes. What else was I going to say? That's really all. So how are you doing? So I'm still very much into primal astrology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it mixes your uh, Western like astrology month so like your gemini sagittarius whatever with your year in the chinese zodiac so you know like year the rat this is all steven yun's fault because he his whole minati press tour and like primal astrology he's been talking about it and i got into it and i'm just looking up everybody it's so much fun because the animals are so crazy there's one of the signs is a tyrannosaurus rex can i read off some of these Please do. Can I read off some of these animals? Because they're just so random. And it's clearly someone's personal project slash con. But here are the animals, okay? There's a ladybug. There's a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. There's a silkworm. There's a leafy sea dragon. There's a, a, a platypus. sea dragon? And I've been looking at people's um, signs. Like, celeb, can I share what I've learned? Please share. Please share. Okay. Jason Manzukis is a skunk. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy is a salamander. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know them personally. These are just celebrities I like. Um, Eric Andre is a dodo bird. Sorry, I, just like how, I just like this random collection. Of yeah, these are just people I like. Hold on, I also have more. Um, um, sorry, is there a celebrity? Oh, you said Adele Hanel oh, is Adele a... Oh, Adele Hanel is a boa constrictor. But I have been texting people. I'm just being not cool at all. I'm just being like, what's your birthday? No, I'm like, no, your birth year. I need your birth year too. And they're like, why? And I'm like, it's this thing. Don't worry about it. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I, mean, I, said them, for, well, I mean, because at least that you're just asking for like birth date and year as opposed to being like, what time? What time was it? Get, yeah. Mother, well, it's not, yeah. Get, this get is all. Time is. I am a tarsier, tarsier, but Nina and I both agree that it doesn't really describe me very well, which is a shame because I feel like the zodiac and general astrology things often really come through for me. It's been really like, disappointing. Think, that was a real yeah. disappointment because I was like, whoa, this seems so accurate in ways that usually I'm like, oh, ha, ha, astrology, silly and stupid, but whatever. Like we all need time to like have a nice, funny, gentle mirror for ourselves. And then yours was like, oh, it's not a science. <laughs> Well, so how about this week? You get us started off with right. the recommendation. What do we got? What do you got for me? Okay, so this week we're entering new territory. I'm giving you a music rec. 
I love it. I'm in this weird period where I don't like TV. It's strange. It's like for a year, TV has been my best friend. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm like, TV is love. I feel love from the screen. It's like, it's like I need the TV on, like ambient TV or just like always have it on. But now it's just bothering me, even like having it on while I cook and stuff. So I've been turning more into music and I was listening to a bunch of like movie soundtracks and that led me to like listening to this weird playlist of like themes from like Italian, like exploitation films and crime films from the 70s. I love it. And then it like kind of, it gets kind of stayed. Like it kind of is like the same sound. Although it is nice like to hear like, you know, oh, it's like, oh, when's the last time I got like a hi-hat with like a full orchestra sound. I somehow all that led me back to Jim Jarmusch's Broken Flowers film and this the music that he used, which uh, comes from a series called Ethiopiques. And the entire um, volume, Ethiopiques volume one through 30 is someone very industrious has made a playlist. So if you want to go through all that, but the album itself is on Spotify. Uh, so Ethiopiques volume four, Ethio Jazz and Instrumental 1969-1974. It features um, an Ethiopian musician named Mulatu Estake, and a lot of his, uh, like a few of his songs were used in the film Broken Flowers, which like I've been kind of meaning to rewatch because I'm curious, like. I've never seen that. Oh, that might be a wreck. You may like it. I don't know that much about jazz. You know a lot more about jazz than I do, and you listen to it, I think, more than I do. But this is just nice, too, because it's, I don't know, it's just interesting to listen to. It's not necessarily something that I would recommend that's good for, like, while you're doing the dishes or while you're cleaning the house. But just like good to like sit and listen to the whole series has kind of an interesting history behind it. There is um, some French influence. Mm -hmm. So the series was created by this French music producer, Francis, excusez-moi, Francis Falsetto through the label Buddha Music. So he is like, he started the series. He knew, I think he had been to Ethiopia once or twice, or somehow he knew a couple of musicians. And then this was around the time of the Derg military junta. Okay. Oh, yes. So it was a period where a lot of the musicians, obviously, or a lot of people, like, obviously weren't living very well. And so it took a while to get the series off the ground and to find, like, the tracks and the recording. So it originally started as a series like, on CDs, and it would be primarily Ethiopian musicians and the recordings from 1950 to 1975. Mm-hmm. And the first volume was released in 1997. There was just, like, a big gap between the sound. Falsetto, through the series, he is, like, primarily responsible of, like, opening up Ethio Jazz. But Ethio Jazz, like... It's kind of like Western audience came from this series, particularly volume four. So you kind of have that icky like colonialism. A little exoticism yeah. thing maybe a and little then, bit, yeah. Yeah, and there is like a 2006 um, interview um, with NPR that Falsetto did. And this is 2006. So like the interview really lets him off the hook. But essentially he kind of does that like old standby argument. I was like, oh, I would have loved for like someone Ethiopian or like someone to like have done this, but like no one was doing it. And I felt passionate, you know? And so I yeah. took the great responsibility of doing it. Also, his last name is Falsetto. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just checking. I was just it like, was, all right. It's spelled F-A-L-C-E-T-O. So 
A lot of this information I'm sharing with you comes from several Wikipedia pages. And then there was like a long video interview and they had like a transcript of this like uh, music school in Boston somewhere, I think one of the academies um, interviewing Astake. And he does kind of like a full overbreath of like his whole biography, like, you know, studying in London. He was like the first African to study at Berkeley Berkeley School of Music and like going Mm -hmm. back to Ethiopia to train musicians, the difficulties in like providing instruments because of the high taxes. It's like a very interesting history. Because of this series, because of this, you know, white French man, we have the sound of Ethio jazz coming to us like 30, 40 years after it's like, you know, its origins and development. One of the wiki pages on the whole series is that Astake has been critical of falsetto of like, you know, having, I think he has full rights of the music. Oh, something, or, you know, and then also there's like a bunch of like icky music threads of like, they wouldn't have this exposure without him. Bullshit. If you know, so passion for this music, he should share, he should give them the rights to their recording. Yeah, like, you know, pay yeah. people. You know, yeah, stuff. like it's one thing to be the person who does it, but no, you actually have to share what you get and not just take it all. But I just like it. It's very, it has like that full orchestra sound, but there's also these what I would call like very 70s, like funk sounding things. The pauses are really interesting. The, the instruments are really interesting too. I don't know all the names of them. They don't all sound like what we would see as like traditional, like Western instruments. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll like it. I mean, you know a lot more about jazz. So I'm also interesting, like interested in hearing like what you think about it. I will, although I will let you know that I don't, I love jazz and I have a little bit of history of jazz, but I am so musically sad. So I'm not sure like if I have a great deal of vocabulary <laughs> to really talk about it other than like, this sounds great. These people were really innovative or like I'll read something. They'll be like, they did this in this song. And I'll be like, if you say so, but I like it, you know? So that's the only thing I'm going to warn both you and our listeners that I may not be able to bring great critical acumen to this discussion, but I will be like, I loved it. I have, I anticipate really loving it. So All right, so this is actually sort of, we've mentioned, what I'm going to give you to you is, um, I've mentioned it before in the podcast, and I think I actually mentioned to you as this thing that I would never recommend to you. I was like, oh, that's like really a Lauren recommendation that I discussed at the beginning that people would be like, oh, I'm not going to watch that. Um, But then you expressed a certain amount of like intrigue in the concept. So I have reconsidered. So I had also thought about making you watch The Battle of Algiers, which is a really amazing movie that I love a great deal, but that is also about like, the Algerian like war for independence and you know it, it, it questions of terrorism torture various things there's just a lot to it and I was like let's not go there given the current vibe of our nation um but in the future we will but so anyway instead I'm going back to Paris Texas which I think I once mentioned to you is like this oh, right. three-hour meditation on like the American West and masculinity by a German man which I forgot it. Actually, I forgot it was three hours, but it's I'm not still three in. hours. Sorry, it's not three <laughs> hours. It's two. It's like two hours and 20, which I mean is still a pretty like significant thing. And I want to be really clear about what I'm getting you into, so like you're not surprised. It won in 1984. It won the Palme d'Or. Also, I just want to take a brief moment to say that previously I suggested that um, Rust and Bone won the Palme d'Or, and it did not. I it, com- okay. <laughs> it competed for the Palme d'Or, which is an important distinction to make. Like, not every film shown at Cannes competes for the film Palme d'Or, but it did not win. Because we should fact check it because I just want to make clear I don't think this film is good I don't think Rust and Bone is good so when you said that I was like interesting 
I was wrong. I just want to be clear that there are all these various ways in which I have been wrong. So I had a really great memory as a child, Dina, and I think I sometimes still believe that's true in middle age. And it's like, it's not. So no, Rust and Bone did not, but Paris, Texas did. And also oh, I think it won okay. the Golden Lion at Venice, like on a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, and it's by Vin Vendors, um, who I don't know if you've ever seen any of those films. Like, I mean, he has a lot, but like another one is um, Wings of Desire is a big one. Nope. That, well, what you may not know is it is the it's the German film upon which City of Angels was based. The Nicholas oh. Cage Meg Ryan film about the angel who come who falls in love with a, a mm-hmm. human and, and descends. However, the catch here is, and this is what was really surprising to me when I finally watched Wings of Desire, which I also recommend. It is a very good movie. Is so the whole thing at the end of City of Angels where like he descends to Earth, but then his beloved is hit by a truck because she's like bicycling with her eyes closed, does not happen at all in Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire has a happy ending. There is a sequel, in fact, with the angel who is now a man and his beloved. They have like a pizza place. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's the whole thing is that they have started. I think there are other things to it. I have not seen it, but that is the, that is the gist. So I think I was very shocked to be like, oh, I assume, oh, they were just remaking this a European film. And of course someone dies. No, no, no. That was a completely unnecessary addition oh, by the already extremely shitty film that is City of Angels. Has a great soundtrack. What a love story, though. An angel gives up his angel status, and then you fall in love, and then you open up a pizza restaurant? Up a pizza place in, you know, in post-war Berlin. Yeah, so it's really love. good. It's very good. But speaking of Paris, Texas. One of those movies where there's, like, a lot of extremely beautiful shots of, like, you know, Texas and the American West. Also, parts of it are set in Los Angeles, which is a city I know you have great interest in. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's some LA-ness to it. But, so... The general concept is it opens and there's like this man played by Harry Dean Stanton, who you will recognize, I think, when you see him. He's been in a lot of stuff and this is kind of his most famous role. So he's kind of wondering about like West Texas in what is an es- es- essentially a fugue state. Like he doesn't talk, he doesn't do anything. And oh, no. he wanders into like a restaurant or something trying to get a drink, but he collapses. So he goes to the doctor, but the only thing he has on him is like this little like piece of paper with a phone number, which is of his brother in Los Angeles. And so they call and they're like, we found this man. And like, he's been, I think he's not been heard from for like three years. So like his brother comes to get him and takes him back out to LA where he and his wife have been raising um, the man in the fugue state whose name is Travis, um, son. Um, so it's just kind of about that and him sort of trying to reorient uh, eventually because also also the, the boys, his wife has gone, she's also gone off somewhere. But so it's very meditative. Um, there's a lot of probably scenes with very little dialogue. I just want you to be ready. Like, I'm ready. Know, you're ready for it. Okay. And um, so it also was co-written by Sam Shepard. Oh. Um, so like it's got a Sam Shepardness to it. So it's an interesting mix of like influences of like, because I think it's like really a German French production. So just to think about like a, a, a perspective, a very outside perspective on some level on like America and the West. Into it. So, so yeah, so it's on the Criterion channel. So that's my recommendation. I think, I think you will like it. It has a lot of, I mean, visually it is really, really interesting and has like a final sequence that does have like kind of a, it's not a gimmick, but there's just a way they set up these two characters that I do think is really um, like an interesting way to visually represent what is in theory like emotionally present. So. Okay, I feel excited because I've been in my like, no, TV is not my friend. So like this kind of intentional uh, watching feels like probably good. Give this a shot. Yeah, I'm excited. I will return myself to the TV.
What is Patrick Radden Keefe's birthday? I only have his birth year. Come on, man. Is Patrick Radden Keefe. He is uh, the New Yorker writer, and he wrote okay. um, Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder oh, and yes. Memory in Northern Ireland. And then he has Empire that. Pain coming out. I really like him. I think. What is your birthday, though, Patrick Radden Keefe? I want to know what your animal is. <laughs> Patrick, if you're listening, if you could please email that to battendownpod at gmail.com. We really appreciate it, and we won't share it on the air. <laughs>